You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, if you would. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 13 in just a few moments. I'm going to be very transparent this morning. In fact, when you preach on family and marriage, oh man, I, don't, I, I feel sorry for my wife. I actually feel sorry for me a little bit. And, uh, oh, man, you, you know what? The hardest message to preach is on your marriage. Two things. One, because you have to tell the, the truth. I mean, she's there. She knows all of my weaknesses. And, of course, I know hers. I'm going to be very transparent this morning throughout the message about things in our marriage and, and things that we struggle with. And also, I'm going to, I think, really... Prove something, hopefully, to our staff. Because I, I want our staff to know here, our elders, our deacons to know, that the most important relationship that you have is not your relationship to the church. Of course, apart from your relationship to Jesus Christ, that, that's non, there's no discussion there, but is your relationship to your spouse. And so here at Gospel Light, you know, my, my and it, it, at times it's probably, you know, it, it, it's probably been abused, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But I have never, ever said no to anyone who has said they needed time off for their family. I've never done it. I've never pushed people beyond their families. Someone comes to me and says, I just need a week off. They can have a week off. I, I, I know how important it is uh, through trial and error to have a strong marriage in ministry. And so I'm thankful today that we're about to celebrate 34 years and then 35 years prayerfully but it's not been without a lot of hard work. So I want to talk to you today about marriage. And this message is for married people. So I don't want anybody to tune me out because this marriage is also for people who want to be married one day. So maybe that includes a few more, right? This message would also be for those who have been married, but you're not married any longer. But you, so you know some of the pain of doing it maybe the wrong way or going through some, some struggles, but you're praying for God to restore that. And, and you're looking maybe the next time that it will be done in a, in a right way. So this message is for you too. This message is also for all those of you who know someone who is married. So this message is for you. This message is for those of you who can spell marriage. So if you can spell marriage, this message, and for those that can't spell marriage. So basically, who is this message for? It's for everyone. So sometimes I think we... We fail to include ourselves on certain subjects that we speak on. I know last week I listened to Kevin's message, great message, and a lot of it had to do with parenting. But all of us can learn from that, whether we're parents now or going to be parents one day or, or even just praying for children in our church. So the message is for everyone. No one gets married. No one gets married and plans on a divorce. No one. That's a foolish thought. And yet, though no one plans on a divorce, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. And some, sometimes we are told that those percentages aren't much different even amongst those who profess to be Christians. Because everything in the world is attacking and opposing your marriage. Now, if that's true, if that's true, and I, I mean, I'm saying that as my thought, my opinion, my strong opinion, that everything in this world is attacking and opposing your marriage. If that's true, then how important is this message? Or how important is this month? How important is it for us to, to pray for protection in our marriage? The government is attempting to make laws to undermine marriage. Satan himself is 
seeking to devour and destroy our marriages. One of the most difficult seasons of pastoring for every pastor that's actively pastoring his people is post-COVID. We're coming out of COVID, and we're doing more marriage counseling than ever before. I I talked to a a professional counselor this week who actually, we have a marriage counseling ministry in our church that we obviously don't charge for, but we sometimes we have to go outside uh, of that, and when it's just a little too complicated, and so we have to recommend that someone counsel, and there's several in our town. I called one of my favorites this week, a, a gentleman I've been communicating with for probably 20 years now. He's been, he's a tremendous, he's a, actually he's the brother of a pastor in our town. And I was recommending that he counsel a couple in our church who, who I think needs professional counseling. And he said, Eric, I, I don't have anything for months. He said, since COVID, I mean, it's just, it, COVID revealed so many problems in marriages. And he said, I am, I don't know how in the world I could even make time to fit anybody else in. This is kind of where we're at. And so I say all that to say that, that Satan is doing everything he can to devour our marriages. Thus, the message, how can we protect our marriage? I'm going to be very practical this morning because I, I, I do believe that in marriage, especially in family, it is oftentimes just the practical ideas that, that can transform a marriage. In fact, if you'll notice on the back of the little uh, prayer I gave you today that we may use at the end of our message, I, I gave you some ways to enhance romance in your marriage. Just simple ideas that my wife and I have attempted to try through our 34 years of marriage. Some, sometimes we've done well with it. Sometimes we, we haven't done as well as we'd like to. But we are always trying to come up with new ideas and new ways to protect our marriage. And there's a list of things on the back that I think will help you to protect your marriage. So let's start with this. Number one, protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Look, if you would, please, at Proverbs chapter 13. I'll have all these verses on the screen because I'll be uh, all over the place this morning. But pride, pride leads to conflict. That word pride there, you might have a translation that says the word insolence or even arrogance leads to conflict. But those who take advice are what? They're wise. Pride leads to conflict. That word in the New American Standard Version is a translated presumption. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. In the Hebrew, that, uh, that means that you are, you're presuming something, a blind assumption about things, an arrogant existence, a prideful determination. In other words, if you are in the building this morning and you have already thought, now that we've begun the message, I don't really need this. My marriage is fine. That's presumption. Okay, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. Look, I appreciate it, Brother Eric, but I, we, we, we've got a great marriage. We don't need any help. We're fine. That's, that's presumption. You don't have a good marriage because you say you have one. You don't have a good marriage because you want one. You don't have a good marriage because you work at it. You only have a good marriage, or rather because you say you have one. You only have a good marriage because you work at it. That's how you have a good marriage. It takes work and a lot of work. In fact, it's, it's just not lucky. I, I, there's nothing about my marriage that's been lucky. <laughs> it's not like, you know, gambling or, or, or just, you know, I hope it all works out. Man, it takes a lot of work. Like your lawn takes a lot of work if it's going to look nice, right? Like your car to keep it clean, to keep the old change takes work. Everything in life that's done well takes a lot of work. And if you were to think about a marriage right now that you have great respect for, I heard Brother Suarez mention 34 years of marriage, and 
I think of the Pittmans here with many, many years of marriage and other families in our church. I think Kevin announced last week you were married how many years? And you, you said in your sermon, 35? 35 years. Yeah, I list great sermon, by the way. 35 years of marriage. You know, sometimes we look at couples who we really admire and respect, and we, w- we would ask them, hey, could you teach me about marriage? Could you help me with my marriage? And I'm going to tell you, I, I don't doubt that they would say somewhere in the very first few lines of their advice, it takes work. It takes a lot of work to have a good marriage. So protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Look at Proverbs 15, 17. It says this, better is a dinner of herbs where love is. Now, my wife's a great cook. I mean, she is a great cook. She's amazing. But if my wife said to me today when I got home, honey, what are we having for lunch? And she said, well, a mixture of herbs. I'd be like, what? A mixture of herbs? But yet better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox, a gourmet meal, a 12-ounce sirloin steak or ribeye, and hatred with it. Because at the end of the day, the happiness in your home has nothing to do with with what's on the dinner table. Think about that. Thus the scripture, better is a dinner of herbs where love is. Why? Because your marriage success and, and, and having a good marriage has to do with relational harmony and most importantly, relational harmony with your spouse. It's not about always just having more or doing better. It's not always about the raise at work, and now we've got more money to do more things with. Now we've got more money to have a better vacation, to get a nicer car, or to buy a bigger house. Listen to me. More is not bad, but more without a good marriage is less. And I've seen it often in in my counseling that, that sometimes the ones who have the most and find their happiness or try to find it in that are the most miserable people in all the world. Because it's always better when your first priority is your marriage. So better is a dinner of herbs. Better that I didn't take that promotion, maybe. Better that I didn't move away from my church and small group and from my spiritual foundation and move somewhere where I'm making more money, but I don't really know where I'm going to go to church. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. By the way, good spot for an amen, gentlemen. Okay, if you didn't say amen and you're sitting next to your wife, good luck with the conversation on the way home. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What a great verse. Oh, listen, marriage is God's idea. Amen. God's provision for what a woman needs is a man. And God's provision for what a man needs is a woman, period. And, and please listen to me. All attempts to erase, to erase uh, gender or role distinction based on gender, all attempts and efforts to erase the significant and complementary differences between men and women, and believe it or not, even in theology, all exegetical gymnastics, and they're there that deny the clear statements of the Bible, all of that is an attempt and an affront to the infinite wisdom and the creative wisdom and genius of an almighty God who created men and women equal yet different. 
A man and a woman coming together in a lifetime of love are more together than they could ever be separately. And so this is God's design. It's God's design. It's God's design. You know, sometimes when we talk about marriage, it's like, well, you just don't know my spouse. Well, you just don't know my God. I mean, God, God's in this. God, God, is, God is able. God is faithful. And God can, can heal any brokenness in your marriage this morning. God intends his design is that there would be one man for one woman for a lifetime. That's the institution of marriage. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who was hung 15 days before Germany was liberated, and a man who was an opponent, an incredible opponent, to all of the genocide done in the Holocaust. Just an amazing Lutheran pastor who was a theologian as well. He wrote a devotion in prison about marriage for his kids. And here is part of that devotion. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power. For marriage is God's holy ordinance for which he wills to perpetuate the human race until the end of time. In your love... You see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage, you are a link in the chain of the generation which God causes to come and to pass away for his glory. As high as God is above man, so high is the sanctity of marriage above the sanctity of promises of personal love. Please listen to this final line in this devotion. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but your marriage that sustains your love for one another. Why? Because marriage is an institution ordained by God that is worthy of your best efforts and of your highest pursuits. So protect your marriage and make it your first priority. And then secondly, protect your marriage by understanding that we all, both genders, men and women, we all have a sinful struggle, right? I mean, the Garden of Eden made sure of that. And since the fall of man, human nature, because of sin, doesn't work right. It just doesn't work right. I mean, I love my wife, but sometimes I have the hardest time doing it like I should. I can't figure it out. I'll tell you what it is. It's sin. It's sin. Sin makes it difficult. Sometimes to be the husband that God's called me to be, sin makes it difficult with it, ladies, to be the wife that we need to be. Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve chose to sin, God said this in verse chapter 16. He says to the woman, I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and your desire will be to control your husband. There's a translation, and maybe your translation says your desire will be against your husband. This is the sinful struggle that you will have for the rest of your life, all the days of your life. He'll rule over you, And to the man, he said, to Adam, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, and the ground is cursed because of you all your life, he says to Adam, you're going to struggle to scratch a living from it. You're going to struggle with work and taking time to just make ends meet and put food on the table, and you're going to struggle with working too much and working too hard and I'm going to grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. In other words, listen, there is going to be a power struggle in the home. These 
two sinful struggles coming together make it really difficult to have a strong marriage. Therefore, protect your marriage by understanding what your struggle is. So, the woman's struggle is going to be usurping her husband's authority in the home. It's going to be to want to have control. And man, your struggle and my struggle is going to be to misuse that authority that God gave us, to misuse it, to not understand it properly, and to be consumed with your work. So let's go back to the book of Proverbs, and let's talk about what our struggle is. Women, let's go first. I always like to let women go first because I can be harder on the men, and that, by that time I get done with the men, you'll forget what I said to you, and so you won't be mad. But for the next five minutes, don't throw stones. Just look at Scripture. Here it is. Women tend to nag their husbands. Women tend to nag their husbands. Look, if you would, please, at Proverbs chapter 27. A continual dropping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. So, first of all, let's discuss what would it have been like to have a house back in that day with a leaky roof. How were houses made in that day? They were stone blocks that were stacked one upon the other. And then the roof was made of sticks and clay that was sewn together. And so they would have these seasonal rains in the fall and in the spring. And these, sometimes these rains were torrential like they are here. And so you'd have a, a leaky roof. And so, hey, husband goes on top of the roof to fix the, to fix the leak, right? And he thinks he fixes it. He comes back down. And the next day it's still leaking again, maybe in another place. And then he goes back up to fix it again. And it's still leaking. And it goes up. It's just a constant leak. And so Scripture says here, with that as our context for the, for the, for the proverb, that a continual dripping on a rainy day just won't stop. That's what a quarrelsome wife is like, contention and strife. Notice it goes on to say, to restrain her is to restrain the wind. Question, can you restrain the wind? No. Or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Can you restrain oil in your right hand? No. Can a nagging wife be restrained? No. Maybe you say, well, that's not my issue. I'm not a nagging wife. Maybe you're not a woman of words, but maybe you're a woman of looks. Maybe you're a woman of silence. Here's the message. A house with a leaky roof is unprotected, and a marriage with a nagging wife is unprotected. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 4 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. This is why, why it's such a big deal, because wives, you are so valuable. You are priceless. That's what a crown is. It's a valuable, lasting symbol of status. And honey, I'm thankful. You are a crown to me, and I love you so much for that. But she who brings shame. Can I just say this about shame? Shame is devastating to a man. Shame is painful to a man. She who brings shame is as rottenness to his bones. That word rottenness speaks of rotten wood that is decayed, and it is weak, and it's not strong. And so, Again, an excellent wife is a crown, but she who brings shame is as rottenness to his bones. Shanti Feldman, who wrote a book for women only, her husband wrote a book for men only. They both surveyed 1,000 men for Shanti Feldman's book on for women only and 1,000 women for her husband's book on for men only. And they asked 1,000 men this question. Here's the question. Think about these two negative experiences and which one would you choose over the other? So I'm going to ask you men, don't answer out loud, to, but I'll give, you the, I'll give you the results of a thousand men. Number one, to feel alone and unloved in this world, or number two, to feel inadequate 
and disrespected. And the choice was 74% said, I'd rather feel alone and unloved in the world. 26% said, I'd rather feel inadequate or disrespected. But most of them said, they're really the same. Because to, to, to be inadequate, to feel inadequate and disrespected is to feel alone and unloved in this world. And so wives, we've got some things we can work on. That we not bring shame, which is rottenness to his bones. But now it's, it's the men's struggle. Let's talk about that. Because the men, we struggle to neglect our wives. Because of our work and, and because of our, our inability sometimes to open up, uh, we tend to neglect our wives. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 8 speaks into it like this. Like a bird strays from its nest. What is a bird like that strays from its nest? What, what is a bird like if it strays from its nest? Lost? Maybe helpless? A bird that strays from its nest is vulnerable. It's easy prey. But like a bird that strays from its nest... And let's go further and say, what, what happens when that bird comes back to the nest? What does it find in the, in the nest? It finds that the predators have come while it was gone because it wasn't there to protect its home. So the predators came and plucked those eggs and destroyed that nest. So just like a bird strays from his nest, just like that is a man who strays from his home. Now, it's easy to observe nagging. It's super easy, but it's not so easy to observe neglect. Neglect is more subtle than nagging. And so how do we neglect our wives? Let me give you five thoughts for this. Number one, we give one-word answers to heartfelt questions. Now, right now, I need to stop and say, if I were sitting next to my wife, she would laugh, giggle, elbow me, because just yesterday, we get home from, we got to spend about two hours together yesterday making visits for the church and you know, those kinds of things, because I was, I was gone last week, so we had a lot of catching up to do. So we, we, were, we came home after running these errands about 4 o'clock and, and, and visiting some church members, and she said, thank you, honey. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for opening up and talking to me in detail about things. In other words, you usually don't do this. That's what that meant. <laughs> and it was a large thank you. I struggle with it. I mean, I, I, I can usually answer something in one or two words, maybe a phrase, and, and, and end of subject. It's all good. But, but a woman looks at that as neglect. And I found that out yesterday for the, probably the 100th time because it's my sinful struggle. I'll need that reminder again next week, but I'm so grateful that she lovingly did it, and I needed it. Number two, you hide your feelings. We only give facts when we're forced to give facts. And so, man, we tend to be more you know, closed in, not as open about our feelings and what we're going through with our spouse. Number three, we refuse to schedule one-on-one time. This leads to neglecting our wives when they, we don't take time. Listen, my wife has often said, just schedule me in, hon. Just put me on your schedule because she knows I live by schedule. She knows I, I have to. And so I, I have this calendar and I have this schedule and I've got everybody on it. And, and everybody knows that if, I, if you're on that schedule, I'm going to be there and I'm not going to miss and I'm going to be on time. And man, I am addicted to my schedule. I have to be. I love it. I love a schedule. Hey, honey, put me on your schedule. Can I be on there? Can I be important enough to, to be someone who you don't neglect? This is hard to preach, but it's because it's my sinful struggle. But when I refuse to to schedule one-on-one time with my wife, that's neglect. You do things that are hurtful and it doesn't bother you. Sometimes, guys, we 
We can, we can be hurtful thinking, you know, it, we're just joking or it's no big deal or come on, you know what? She's not one of the guys. She's your wife. Number five, she is not your first choice for good news. Oh, no, another one. <laughs> she's actually being easy on me. I told the first server she was going to be over there like this, like, like whiplash, you know. Thank you, honey. <clears throat> He's being very meek and quiet. Just last week, she said, I wish you would, I could be the first when, when, when there's good news. Because I guess she got a call from somebody that told her, have you heard? She goes, no. Well, your husband told me. I'm like, thank you, whoever did that. Thank you. Next time, could you please not say your husband told me. So she calls me up. She goes, why didn't you tell me? I just got a, how'd you find out? Well, so-and-so told me because you told them, you know. Oh, listen, I didn't realize, I, I, well, I did, but I, I, I still need to be reminded of how special she feels when she's the first one to hear the great news. Solutions start with acknowledging the problem. They do. Church family, it's okay to admit you're wrong. It's okay, men, for us to say, man, I, I struggle with that. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24 says this. Well, I, I'm sorry, let me back up here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll get to that in just a moment. Protect your marriage by admitting your sinful struggle. And my sinful struggle and your sinful struggle, men, is we're bent towards neglect. And left to ourself without the grace of God, left to ourself without the truth of God's word, and by the way, left to ourself without a determined effort to change, I'm going to neglect my wife. I can admit that. I don't know if you can, but I encourage you to admit it. And when you admit it, it's freeing. And your wife can begin to help you. And she can show grace. And she does. Next. Protect your marriage by replacing, ladies, here's an idea. Replace nagging words with words of kindness. Kind words are an amazing thing to a marriage. Because oftentimes, it's not just stop saying the wrong messages, but it's start saying the right messages. Listen to Proverbs 15, 23 from the ESV and then the NLT, and I'll tell you why. Look at the ESV. It says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. What is an apt answer? To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season. So wait a minute. An apt answer is the right words at the right time. It's just perfect timing. Look at the NLT. I love this. It says, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. That's an apt answer. It, it's knowing how to say the right thing at the right time. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. When we say replace nagging words with words of kindness. Now, sometimes I realize we probably don't deserve it. But I remind you of what 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 23 says, that all things are lawful, but all things are, not all things are helpful. Amen? So we may deserve it, but could you stop and ask yourself this question before you say it? Is this helpful? We probably deserve it, but could you stop and ask yourself this question? Is this going to build my husband up? Listen, is it, is it, is it helpful? Oh, I said it because it's true. Okay, probably is, but is it helpful? Well, I said it because no one else will say it. I'm the only person that will just tell him like it is. Thank you. Is it helpful? Well, he deserved it. He probably did, but, but is it helpful? 
So let me give you some positive suggestions. Am I ready to say it in a kind way? You know, can I say it kindly? I need to say it. He needs to hear it. But can I say it kindly? Is he ready to hear what I have to say? This is something that I've, just this week, my wife and I had uh, a little small uh, disagreement, argument, because I reacted in a way that was a little ugly. And I did, and I was wrong. But when she found out that I had had a really tough day, I'd gone through some things and had some news and some things, and I was, it was just a bad time. I did react wrong, but she, she said what she said to me when I just wasn't ready to hear it. And so once I explained that, she said, okay, that's fair. She goes, thank you. No, I, you're right. I, I could have said it. You're right. I should have waited, and I did, could tell you were stressed about some things. And so that's kind of the way we worked through that problem. Can he handle it now? Choosing the right words at the right time. Proverbs 15, 3, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. Wow. What a, what a truth. Proverbs 16, 24. Listen to this. Replace nagging words with words of kindness. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. What I love about this proverb is the next part. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Hey, honey is good for you. I did a little study on honey, but I thought, you know what? I've got too many notes. I can't give this information because it's, it, I think they'll just believe me. Most of them probably know more about honey being good for me, for them, than I do. But honey is good for you. And, and so what Scripture's teaching us here is just like honey is, is not only good, but it's good for you, so are gracious words. They are healthy. Feed your husband some kind words and watch him get healthy in his spirit it's a it's a game changer just kind words gracious words are like honey what are gracious words gracious words are words that impart grace what is grace grace is unmerited favor grace is what you don't deserve wives sometimes you need to give your husbands words they don't deserve That's gracious words. That's what they are. They don't deserve it, but you say it anyway. And when you do that, they will be sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You may wonder, why in the world is Capace so healthy and upbeat? I've been on a steady diet of gracious words for 34 years. I I went and I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it to bless my wife. I went back and looked at a file, no joke. I, I brought it home because I, I, I got caught up yesterday morning re- restudying the sermon. I got caught up in my, in my study, and then I, I, got to, I, I thought, well, I'm going to see if I can find a note. I pulled out notes, and I mean, they are so funny, these notes. Some of them are like, I know you like preaching on the road, but you've got to come home now because Matthias is just driving me crazy. He needs a spanking. And then she puts Proverbs, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. I mean, it's crazy. I can't wait to read. They're going to have so much fun just reading these letters one day around the table, you know, when we're like 80 or something, you know. And, but I, I put this one out. So we're having our 30-year anniversary. We just put together an anniversary committee, and it was really awesome. And if you're interested in possibly serving on that, let me know, because we're going to add to that committee as we go. But We've got a good, strong nucleus now preparing for 30 years. It's going to be awesome. So guess what we get to do? We get to open up a 30, uh, our 30th 
time cap. It's a 30-year time capsule. So on year 20, everybody wrote notes to their family and grandkids and some of those folks, like Cliff Kaufman, is, is not even here anymore. He died since then, but we're going to get to read what Cliff Kaufman wrote to his kids in that time capsule when we opened it up. How cool is that? Well, I pulled out a letter that, honey, you put this in the time capsule on year 10, and I pulled it out and read it on year 20. So I've got, I've got the letter. Let me read it. Dear sweetheart, it's so hard to believe that 10 years have flown by since Gospel Light Baptist Church started in Hot Springs. We came with one eight-month-old, and now we have an 11-year-old a nine-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. When I read that, I thought, no, we don't. (laughs) And then I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. That was 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And to think, they're going to be 21, 19, 12, and 11 when you read this letter. It'll be here before you know it. And it is. And it's gone. And it's 10 more years. I praise the Lord that God led you here and burned your heart to start this church. God is certainly blessed. I see that we have grown so much in 10 years in our marriage, our family, our church family. I trust our next 10 years will be even greater. I know part of your vision, and it's overwhelming, but with God, all things are possible. Thank you for growing as a Christian, a husband, a father, a pastor. Man, I'm getting healthier already. That's what makes you so exciting. My prayer is that I will grow with you in such a way that I should be your helpmeet. I am privileged to be married to you. Really? You still feel that way? That's cool. I pray that God will keep me healthy to better serve you in the Lord. He has been working a miracle for the past six or seven years in my life. Looking forward to growing old together with you. We're doing that right now. Wrinkles and stuff. It's crazy. We will be 48 at the time of the opening of this letter. (laughs) We're about to open another one. We're going to be 57, 58, whatever. Greater things are still to come. I love you. You are the best. Man, that was just one of... 500. I mean, this is, look, what am I saying? I'm bragging on Carol Ann, and I, I almost didn't read the letter because I don't want anybody to think this is self-serving as much as it is to say, this is, our marriage is so broken, it is so fractured by sin, we constantly struggle to have a strong marriage. It is, we are always trying to protect our marriage from the devil's But These are the things that keep us going. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we've arrived. I'm saying we got a long way to go. Keep the gracious words coming because it's, it's sweetness to my soul and it's health to my body. That's, that's what I'm saying. And so as we learn this together, yes, it's going to be difficult, but God is asking us to make a wise choice, and that is to choose gracious words. All right, man, you ready? Here's how we can do it. We can reverse neglect with singular focused attention on our wives. You know, men have a difficult time with a lot of things. We struggle, don't we, guys? I'm going to give you the top three things that I see guys struggle with in all of my days of pastoring. I'll give you three, two, one. One being the one I see the most of us struggle with. But three is this, work and spiritual life. It's just difficult. We work, 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 and we have a tough time balancing that with our spiritual lives. Secondly is just the role of husband and the role of father. Just knowing sometimes we have kids and we forget to be a husband. We're just a dad for, you know, 20 years, and then we say, well, I guess I'm married, you know. And and we have to always remember to to guard against that. But thirdly, by far, by the way, men struggle with sexuality, both in their body and in their mind. So it's no surprise to me that Solomon focuses on this more than anything else in the book of Proverbs. So in Proverbs chapter number 6, Scripture very clearly teaches this. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned. 
It's a rhetorical question. It's an obvious answer. No. Number 28. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? No. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, and that's not just like for coffee, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He'll give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Not three years later, not five years later, not ten years later, not 15 years later. Proverbs chapter 5 goes on to continue to warn us, man. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Notice here, he now expands from what others see to how God sees it. He says, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because of his great folly. He is led astray. What a warning, guys. So let's all wake up. How can we reverse the effects of neglect and unfaithfulness in our marriage? You say, wait a minute. I've never been sexually unfaithful in my marriage. Listen, there are more ways to be unfaithful in your marriage than just sexually. You can be unfaithful mentally. Well, I'm, I'm, I've never been unfaithful in my body, but I've been unfaithful in my mind. You can be unfaithful emotionally. Distant, removed, shut down, isolated, not sharing, not doing life together with your wife. There's, un, there's financial unfaithfulness. Not being honest about where you're at and financially and how much money and what you're spending it on and these kinds of things. There's verbal unfaithfulness, how you talk to your wife when she's not around. So how can I reverse these effects? Four words real quick. Number one, the word singularity. Singularity. And we find this taught in Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 15 where it says, drink water from your own cistern. Share your love only with your wife. Be a one man, a one woman man. Only with my wife. Singularity. You know, when I'm focused only on her, just she is the only woman who I am sharing love with. I am defeating neglect and unfaithfulness in my marriage. The second word I want you to write down is this, the word exclusivity. It's a little different than singularity. It's almost the same thing. Singularity is to focus on one person, but exclusivity is this, not for anyone else. Here's the verse, Proverbs 5, it says, Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves, never share it with strangers. And then the word fervency, Proverbs 5, 18, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Listen, be fired up about your spouse on day one and on year 30. Four. Be fired up about yourself. Give all of your energy. Give all of your affection. Give all of your attention. And then finally, frequency. A little more graphic here. I, I get it. Let your breast, let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. The word I want to focus on is just the word always. How frequent? I, I don't know, but always. 
So singularity, exclusivity, fervency, frequency. You see, when intimacy in marriage is easy, when intimacy in marriage is natural, when it's mutual, it's joy-producing. But when it's pressured, and why is it pressured? Nagging and neglect. Nagging and neglect. The two sinful struggles that we have, when they collide, it makes marriage hard. And when it's pressured, when it's demanding, it's selfish, it's devastating. And so, men and ladies, let's do everything we can, do our part to soften the heart of our partner. I love Proverbs 15, to fear the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility. That's what I see lacking so often in my marriage counseling. It's just humility. We come in ready to be right instead of willing to be wrong. Humility comes before honor. Men, lead the way. Lead the way, men. Protect your marriage by reversing Neglect with singular focused attention. Number five, protect your marriage by rattling during times of adversity because they're coming. Amen? They're coming. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. What is an apple of gold in a picture of silver? It's precious. It's priceless. That's what it is. And so there's some words that your marriage can be really helped by. Words that are fitly spoken like a word of regret, number one. Remember I told you earlier, your marriage will change forever when you learn to say, I'm sorry, often. I'm sorry, a word of regret. What about a word of confession? I was wrong, please forgive me. That happens about every day in my home, and it's usually me. Number three, a word of affection. I will always love you. Not just when I want something, but when I just want to let her know, because she's my wife. And sometimes she just needs to be loved just because she's who she is. A word of hope. A word of hope. Honey, I'm going to do better. Help me. Help me to do better. And then a word of commitment. I'm here for you, and that will never change till death do us part is still in our marriage vows. I love Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Amen? Some marriages are obliterated by pressure. Some marriages are obliterated in hard times. Financial crisis, explosion. Health crisis, explosion. Problem with parents, explosion. Protect your marriage by rallying during a time of adversity. I don't know how many of you know Mark and Debbie Adams. Mark and Debbie are a picture of this. A picture of this. Mark is the guy that comes to church when he can come to church. He comes in a wheelchair with his wife, Debbie. He has multiple sclerosis, which is a disease that impacts the brain and spinal cord, which makes up the central nervous system and controls everything we do. Richard, did I do a pretty good job of explaining that? Richard's my nurse. Multiple sclerosis. He's had it for 27 years. I heard he was doing really bad lately. I didn't know they don't like to bother anybody. She has to put him in bed every night. There's a big crane over his bed. The crane, she hooks it up to his body. The crane lifts him up out of the bed, moves him over the bed, lowers him in the bed softly. Then she unhooks him. And this is, this is every night and every morning of her life. I went by yesterday to visit because he isn't doing well. He's been in and out of the hospital a lot. We don't know much how Obviously, when somebody has that, you don't know how much longer you have with them. We went by yesterday, and we had a great, great visit. We prayed with him and had a wonderful time. I said, Debbie, write down your thoughts about this marriage. 
She said, our marriage and love for each other is very different than I envisioned when we were younger. We've been married for 44 years, and 27 of them have been very challenging with MS. I believe with all my heart that God gave us 17 years to build a marriage and love grounded in him to be able to stand in the day-to-day struggle with MS. Our love has survived both exciting times and difficult times. And with each step, it keeps getting stronger and sweeter. Through every difficult time, we have, made a cho- we, we have a choice to make. The world tells us to walk out when things are difficult. But God tells us to stay and see how he is going to work. I'll admit, there have been times I wanted to walk away. However, I'm glad I didn't. And Mark wrote, our love has grown more and more every day as we see God work so very mightily in ways we would have never seen if I would not have been diagnosed with MS. MS has been the toughest battle we've ever had, and we don't really like it, but we're thankful for it because it's opened our eyes to ways that we can make our marriage stronger. How, do you, how does that happen? How do you say that? The only way you say that is by understanding that it is in times of conflict, it's in times of trial, that we can rally together and have a stronger marriage than we ever thought we could have. And so I encourage you today to remember that, yes, a friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for hard times. A brother is born for adversity, born for it. We were born for this. Honey, we're born for this. Whatever it is, whatever it comes our way, we were born for this. We can do it by God's grace. Love overcomes. Love never fails. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love believes all things. Protect your marriage by rallying during times of adversity. Finally, protect your marriage by living in the present. Don't live in the past. Proverbs 19, 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, but it's glory. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Here's a question for you, and I'm almost done. How does a couple fall in love in the first place? Honey, 34 years ago, 35, 36 years ago, I fell in love with you. Can I tell you how I felt real quick? I was on the top of the world looking down on creation and the only explanation I can find is the love that I find ever since you've been around. Your love puts me on the top of the world. Good old Karen Carpenter song right there. That's what I remember right there. That's how I felt. Man, I could get around my sweet wife and be on top of the world. How do we fall in love in the first place? Can I tell you something? Listen, quit looking to the past mistakes you've made and live right now in the presence of God and his gift to you called your spouse. We've all had tough times. We've all made mistakes. But love overlooks an offense. Oh, listen, don't focus on the negative things. Proverbs 10, chapter 12 says it like this. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook an offense. Love doesn't cover abuse. Please, please don't. I don't think I had to say that because I think you would already know that about me. Love doesn't cover destructive behavior. But can I ask you something real quickly? And Isn't it the little foxes that destroy the vines? Isn't that really where it all starts? Solomon said that. It's the little things that lead to the big things. If we'll learn to forgive our personality differences, little character flaws, little bad habits, love doesn't focus on those things. Love covers. Love covers. Love forgives. 
if we could become better forgivers, I think we could put an end to some of this destructive behavior that these little foxes lead to. And so protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Protect your marriage by understanding your sinful struggle. Ladies, protect your marriage by replacing nagging words with words of kindness. Men, protect your marriage by singular focused attention. Protect your marriage by rallying during times of adversity and protect your marriage by living in the present. Praying for our families. I have a prayer for protection over your marriage. I, I put it in your worship, God. I thought it might be a help during the invitation time. I'm going to ask my wife in just a moment to come with me, and we're just going to pray this together and pray over our marriage. And The words are really sweet and kind, and we had several people comment in the first service that it really met some needs. Sometimes we read prayers in church, and we do that as a, as a way that we can pray together. It's not something we do all the time. And then sometimes I think it is nice to, to take a prayer and pray something like this together. You're welcome to do that. If you're here today and you, this was a hard message for you to hear, just like probably every message on family is. I can imagine last week when Kevin spoke and even the week before and the week before. I mean, it's, we just all are broken people with different stories. Hopefully today, as you've heard my testimony, you've not felt at all that I'm speaking from any kind of position of arrogance or pride or I've arrived. You're looking at a very broken husband, broken man, struggling because of sin. And I have things I need to work on, and I'm, I'm not arrived. And so whatever it is that you're hurting this morning, whatever pain you bring to this scenario, I want you to know God's grace is greater than your sin, than your pain, than your past. And he can change all of that. Why? Jesus changes everything. Just leave it with him this morning. If you're here today, you've never been saved, I encourage you to trust Christ as your Savior this morning. Say yes to Jesus. We'll open up the invitation in the altars. You respond as the Lord would lead you to. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share about family this morning and praying for our families. And as we conclude this month's emphasis and we look forward to a new emphasis God, I pray that we would not leave this service without having taken time to pray for each other, for our marriages, for our church families. Lord, someone has said that, Lord, a church is no stronger than its families. And God, I believe that the stronger our families get, the stronger our marriages get, the more healthy our church will be. So, Father, help us today to take these practical truths and begin to implement them into our lives. And by your grace... May we forgive as we have been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?